listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I'm going to help you a lot in this broadcast. This is going to be one that you're going to want to share. This is the one, the one you're going to want to come back and reference. Uh, this broadcast is going to help you a lot. I mean that. Um, one of the biggest debates in the Christian community is the salvation debate. Um, between reformed believers uh, and those that are not reformed, Armenian style or leaning believers. Thank you very much. And um, today I'm going to show you undeniable proof from the word of God about your salvation covenant. Can you lose your salvation? Can you walk away from the covenant? Um, this is, this debate has raged for a long, long time. Um, and we've been teaching, uh, the book of Galatians in Bible study made simple. Um, and we were doing some more videos for the Bible study made simple group and, uh, going through starting chapter five of the book of Galatians. And, uh, we came across some things, um, in the very first part of the chapter that, um, we were teaching, going through the commentaries and the different notes that we're using in the, in the class. And by the way, if you're not a part of Bible study made simple, we would love to have you as part of the group. It's reopening again on October the 26th and only for a few days, it'll be open. Then we're closing it again. Uh, it's only $15 a month and you can be a part of everything we're doing. There's one Bible study video every week and uh, we're doing all the different types of Bible study and showing you how to properly study the scripture. Uh, you already will have access to a massive library of videos when you jump in. And uh, I encourage you to check it out. You can go to bible.miracleword.com, bible.miracleword.com if you wanna be a part of Bible Study Made Simple. Um, it is an amazing resource. You're gonna be hearing from other students coming up um, in these next couple of months of what their experience has been uh, in the course. So, but as we were doing that, uh, we, I found some things that I want to share with you today that I think will help you immensely, uh, when it comes to this question of, can you lose your salvation? And then I was so blown away that Dr. John MacArthur, uh, made such a massive mistake in Bible interpretation. You know, I know there's a lot of people that um, they really uh, value his teaching, uh, obviously not Pentecostals, but there are a lot of people that um, they really look at him as, as the end all be all, you know, the, the one who answers the questions. I want to hear what he has to say about this. In fact, they often do question and answer sessions with Dr. MacArthur and post them on YouTube. I was so blown away that uh, he had such a bias in his mind towards scripture that he made this massive mistake in Bible interpretation. We're going to cover that today. And I want to show you um, how to properly interpret this passage, which it's not hard to do. You can just plainly read it and see what it's talking about. And we're going to cover some other uh, areas as well. But this should help you. 
answer and settle this question in your mind. And if anyone asks you about it, this is exactly where I would take someone who had a question on whether or not it's possible for a Christian to lose their salvation. This is the passage in the New Testament that I would take them to. Um, and I'll give you some others as well uh, to answer this question uh, truly. And so we're going to be in Galatians chapter five today. And uh, as you're jumping on, please take a minute to share the broadcast this morning. Uh, welcome to everybody that's already on. I love you guys. We're leaving today for Montana. This weekend, the revival starts in Billings, Montana. And so we're very excited uh, to, to get going up there. And uh, I don't know if you're anywhere close to Montana, but if you are, come and be a part of the revival. Um, it's going to be really awesome. And then Carolyn has a women's meeting coming up at Crossroads Community Church in Fitchburg, Mass. Uh, very, very soon. You don't want to miss that. The only thing is they want you to register so that they can host you when you get there. Um, and so the website to register is on our, is on our website. If you go to the schedule page, you can click the link and go register and, um, and be a part of it as well. So don't miss that. It's going to be great. All right. I want to jump in because we'll cover a bunch of stuff today, but, um, I did a broadcast within the last week or so that was three Christian doctrines that I believe are ruining lives that are ruining lives. And the three that I talked about were the doctrine of cessationism, which John MacArthur is a cessationist. Um, the doctrine of reform theology or, uh, that, that, uh, that style of Christianity that is taught by people like John MacArthur, John Piper, Vadi Bauckham, Dr. James White, others. Um, and I'm not saying I don't appreciate their ministries in certain aspects. <clears throat> I'm just saying that I believe that the doctrine of reform theology ruins lives. Also the hyper grace, uh, movement is the third one that I dealt with in that broadcast. And so the reason I'm bringing that up now is because the thought process that we're talking about in this video, that it's impossible for a true Christian to lose their salvation. Uh, is an error on their part. To believe that is an, a scriptural error. And I'm going to show you the passages of scripture um, that you can look to, specifically this one in Galatians. I would take somebody there and ask them to properly explain that. I'm going to show you even what John MacArthur says about it in his commentary. And uh, this should open your eyes to what a bias there is what a bias there is on the part of these um, <clears throat> preachers, pastors, uh, scholars in this area. They're reading scripture with a bias. And if you remember, um, I, uh, I dealt with the uh, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. I told you about him, Dr. Jack Deere, who also was reading scripture with a bias. And um, he was teaching and preaching, obviously, that the spiritual gifts had ceased. That's cessationism. That the apostolic miracles and gifts of the spirit and speaking in tongues, none of that's for today. Then he realized, hold on a second, I'm actually doing what I tell my students never to do, which is to um, uh, read the scripture with a bias. So he said, I'm going to throw out my bias 
and I'm going to read the word of God with no bias and see what the Bible truly says about these issues. And when he came out the other side of the New Testament, he was no longer a cessationist. In fact, he said that no logical thinking Christian can read through the New Testament and come out the other side a cessationist, which I totally agree with him, um, obviously. But again, the same thing that he was doing is the same thing that Dr. John MacArthur is doing on this issue. Um, And the reason I point Dr. MacArthur out is that as we look at his commentary on the book of Galatians, it jumps out at you that this is, this is so, I mean, it's, it's not like he's, he's, the funny thing is when I read you his comments on these verses that we're going to go through, he gets everything right and then throws a sentence in at the end that is so insane. You're like, how can you make that statement after everything you just said? It makes no, but, but he has to make the statement to stay consistent with the Southern Baptist convention, with reform theology. He has to make that statement. He has to say that last sentence just so he can stay consistent with their doctrine. And even though he understands cracking a new Zevia, even though he understands what the Bible says, and even in the Greek language, he knows what it says and he points it out. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the passage. We're going to look at his commentary. And then we're going to look at Dr. Craig Keener's commentary, who he's, he's a Pentecostal scholar, if you don't know Dr. Craig Keener. So this should end the debate in your mind once and for all. And for those of you that don't know what in the world I'm talking about, like what is this once saved, always saved? What, what are you talking about when it comes to the salvation doctrine? Well, let me just give you a quick breakdown. Um, those that are reformed, Uh, like Baptists, Presbyterians, certain Baptists and Presbyterians, they have a belief system about salvation that says that you have nothing to do with your salvation. It's monergism. That's the proper name for this belief system, monergism. It means that it's one-sided, mono. God does everything when it comes to your salvation. He elects you before the foundations of the world were laid. He chose you to be saved. Uh, then because he chose you, he will make sure that you hear the gospel at some point in your life. When you do hear it, uh, he will make sure you cannot resist the gospel, the grace of the gospel. He will then make you believe the gospel. You cannot resist it. He will cause you to believe. He will be the one that gives you the faith. He will make you believe. He will make you confess, obviously. And then you start to understand that the rest of it is, uh, you will, Um, then persevere in this Christian faith for the rest of your life until you die or until Jesus comes. And then uh, if you do, if they see somebody who falls back into sin in their lifetime, they'll say, well, that person, what exactly no free will, Caitlin, they do not believe in free will, which is why you have a denomination of Baptists called free will Baptists because they do believe in free will. So, but they believe that if you fall back into sin, right, then it was because you were never truly saved in the first place. You were a quote unquote false convert. That, that's what you were. That's what you are if you fall back into sin. Whereas if you don't believe like they do, if you do believe in free will, if you do believe uh, more leaning towards the Armenian style of, of belief in salvation, then you just believe if somebody goes back into sin that they backslid. 
you know, you've heard the term backsliding or backslider, or you're an apostate, which means you've left the faith, which is a Bible prophecy, by the way. I don't know how they get around that. It's Bible prophecy that in the last days that the hearts of many will grow grow cold and that many will leave the faith. They will be apostate. Um, That's prophecy. Uh, And so they would argue, well, if someone does leave the faith, it's because they were never truly a part of it. And they will go to that verse of scripture that says they went out from us because they were never really of us. If they were of us, they would have never left us. Um, And so they'll, they'll use passages of scripture, but there is no way to get around this passage in Galatians. There's absolutely no way. And the funny thing is, even Dr. John MacArthur makes proper statements about what the Bible is saying. It's then he just puts his own spin on what is being said uh, by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And again, if you don't know who I am and you're joining because of the title, or maybe uh, you've never been on this channel, I am a Pentecostal uh, minister. I do believe that the apostolic gifts are still for today. I do believe in speaking in tongues. I do believe that the nine gifts of the spirit are still in operation. I am not a reformed Calvinist. I believe in free will. I do believe that you can lose your salvation, although I don't believe it's easy. I believe that you can walk away from the faith. I believe that you can lose that grace. And we're going to show you that in the passage today. We're going to go through those two commentaries and you'll see it for yourself. So we are in Galatians chapter five. That's just a breakdown for you. So you know where we're coming from. We're in Galatians chapter five. And, uh, if you're tracking through the book of Galatians, the reason it was written is because there were Judaizers who came in to the church in, uh, this part of Turkey, Asia minor. Um, and they were preaching a false gospel. What was the false gospel? Well, yes, you Galatians, you, you were believing in Christ by faith, you know, by grace through faith, you accepted Christ as your savior, but you've not been circumcised and you're not going to truly be a Christian until you get circumcised. And they were trying to pull them back under the law of Moses. And Paul is writing to harshly rebuke the Galatian believers for believing this false gospel. Uh, he calls it another gospel tongue in cheek. Not that there is another gospel, he says, but they're trying to preach to you a different gospel. And so he's rebuking these Galatians, the the apostle Paul, he's rebuking the Galatians for trying to switch their belief system from just salvation by grace through faith to works as well. You got to be circumcised. You got to keep the law. And he's just rebuking the fire out of them. And then he's in the end of chapter four, he is, uh, using an example of, um, Abraham who had two children, Ishmael and Isaac and Hagar was his wife's maid servant or, 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 you know, woman servant that he slept with and produced Ishmael, right? Which was, um, this was the child that he tried to bear out of his own human effort because he didn't have faith that his older wife, his old, she was old in, in many years, you know, 90, and didn't believe she could have children. So it wasn't an act of faith. It was an act of doubt and unbelief that he had Ishmael. But then uh, the true child of promise was Isaac. Because once they finally believed the word of God that Sarah could bear children, uh, then she miraculously gave birth to Isaac. 
And that is the example he's making. You can either try to do it by human works and effort, Ishmael, or you can believe the promise by faith and receive the promise that way. And that's the only way to truly have the promise because in your human effort, you can't be saved, right? We believe that there's nothing you can do by your human efforts to be saved. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how many uh, nice things you do. You can't be redeemed by your own human efforts. There's no way. Even by keeping the law, you couldn't be saved. Nobody under the law was a Christian. The law could not make you a Christian. The law could not remove your sins. None of those things were there to get you saved or to redeem you. They were just there to show you your sin and to keep you like a guardian until Christ could come, right? So once, once Christ came, the law was no longer necessary. He fulfilled the law and now gave a better way. You can receive eternal life and come into the body of Christ by grace through faith. That's how the Galatians were originally saved. But now they're believing this false doctrine that, oh no, now we got to be circumcised and now we got to, you know, keep the law of Moses and all these other things if we're going to be saved. And Paul tells them in an earlier chapter in Galatians, no, no, don't you remember? You've actually had the Holy Spirit poured out on you. You should have known this is proof that you're already saved. You've not only had the Holy Spirit poured out, that you've also had manifestations of the Holy Spirit take place in your life and in your church. And this is a sign that you already are members of the body of Christ, right? There is no sinner who has the Holy Spirit. There's no sinner who is experiencing the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit seals our salvation. He is the down payment on our eternal reward, if you will. So, uh, The fact that they had the Holy Spirit already, Paul says, is proof that they're saved and they don't need to add anything to the work of Jesus. You don't need to add circumcision. You don't need to add the works of the law. In fact, if you do, it's going to cancel out your faith. And that's where we're at now. We're in Galatians chapter five, and I'm going to read you just verses one through four. Just verses one through four. Are you ready for this? Galatians five, one through four. You need to share this broadcast. It's going to help somebody. It's going to help somebody a lot. Um, Paul writes, starting in the fifth chapter, first verse, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, I've heard preachers preach this, and they act like that that's talking about a life of sin. It's not what Paul's referring to. He's referring to going back under the law. That's the slavery he's talking about. If you read chapter four, he's talking about the slave and the free, the slave under the law, the free under Christ. And he's saying here, Christ has set us free from what? The law and the curse of the law, which he covered in chapter three. Stand firm, therefore. Now, Some people would argue that the Galatians had already lost their salvation or that they were false converts. That's not true. Why would Paul tell them to stand firm? Stay where you are, one translation says. Stay where you are. Remain in freedom. If someone's in sin, you don't tell them, stay where you are. Stand firm where you are. If you're in sin, the message is repent. Repent of your sin. 
receive Christ as your savior. That's the message to someone in sin. But the Galatians are not living in sin. Paul's talking to them as brethren, little children. These are terms of endearment for the body of Christ. He's speaking to them as Christians because they are Christians. And he says, stand firm in what? The current freedom you have in Christ. Don't believe this false message. Don't go back under the law. Stand firm. Look at, go go on further. And do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So he's, he's putting them at a decision right here. You've got to make a decision. You're either going to believe the true gospel or you're going to believe this false message preached by the Judaizers. Look at verse two. Now verses two through four are undeniable. The verbiage, even the Greek language and John MacArthur agrees with the Greek language, which I can't understand why he doesn't see this. Verses two through four. This is where I would take someone. If you're ever wondering, if you ever get in a conversation and someone says, it's not, you can't lose your salvation. If you, if you do go back into a life of sin, it's because you were never truly saved in the first place. False. Absolutely false. Look at verses two through four. You ready? Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, hold on. They're already saved. They're already saved. But he's saying if you go a different direction and you accept circumcision and the law, now Christ will be of no advantage to you. Verse three, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. Now, Paul's already pointed out that it's impossible to keep the whole law. And if you break one point of the law, the Bible says, you've broken the whole law. You fail to do one thing that's under the law and you've broken the whole thing. It's impossible. Look at verse four. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. You've been what? Severed from Christ. This is heavy language, man. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. It's so plain there. And the thing is, it's even more plain in the Greek language, even more plain. And I'm going to show you that in a moment. So, so look at this. He's giving them a heavy warning. If you do what they're asking you to do and be circumcised and go back under the law, Christ will be of no benefit to you. You'll be severed from Christ and fall away from grace. Severed from Christ. Does that bring any verses up in your mind? I want to see any Bible uh, students in the comments. Yeah, when I say that phrase, severed from Christ, what passage in the New Testament comes up in your spirit? Anybody that may be watching, I saw Evangelist TJ on, uh, Evangelist Carrie, uh, and any other Bible students. You hear that phrase, severed from Christ. Any, any passages come up in your spirit? Put it in the comments if, if they do. I'd like to see if that popped anything up in anybody else's spirit besides mine. That's a very specific uh, phrase, severed. Look at Uchenna knows John chapter 15. That's exactly right. John chapter 15. That is exactly where my spirit went when you get into that verbiage, severed from Christ. So what, what does the Bible say in John chapter 15? Well, it says that Christ is the vine and we are the branches, right? Christ is the vine, 
Jesus is teaching this and we are the branches. Let's read it a little bit. Uh, verse four. In fact, let me, let me just, so that we see Jesus teaching, let me read verses one through six. Okay. John 15 verses one through six. This ought to open your eyes to the, to the severity of this warning. Jesus is teaching here. He said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me. Now that's a command, by the way. Look at that. Abide in me. You are commanded to abide in me. So that means God doesn't determine whether or not you abide in Christ. Jesus doesn't determine whether or not you abide in Christ. If they did, then there would be no need for the command. Why would you command somebody to do something that's automatic? If God keeps you in Christ and if Christ keeps you in himself, what's the point of the command? Abide in me, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, verse five, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now look at verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and burned or thrown in the fire. So notice what the vine dresser does. Every branch that does not bear fruit, what does he do? He cuts it off. He severs it from the vine. God severs it from the vine. There's a period of time that people have to be faithful to the word of Christ. A period of time. But when they stop producing fruit and abiding in Christ, that's their choice. According to John 15, that's their choice. Abide in me. And if you don't abide in me, my father will sever you from the vine because you won't produce fruit. You won't produce fruit. Same thing here. If you stop producing fruit, guess what's going to happen? If you stop staying in faith and abiding in Christ by faith, what's going to happen? You'll be severed from Christ. You'll be completely severed from Christ. And that Paul's not beating around the bush in, in Galatians 5. He said, and let me say it to you again. If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. None. If you accept circumcision, you're obligated to keep the whole law. Verse four, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace. All right. Now let us go to, um, the commentary. I want to show you this. I saw this and it blew my mind. It totally blew my mind. I said, how in the world can he believe this? Knowing what he knows about the Greek language, knowing what he knows about the Bible, how can he be so biased that John MacArthur makes this massive mistake? I'm reading from his printed commentary on Galatians. He believes this enough that he's willing to print it, put it in a book and sell it when he knows what the Bible actually says. Um, let me read to you his commentary on verse four of Galatians five. This is John MacArthur's commentary on Galatians five, four, the Greek word for estranged means to be separated or to be severed. So he's right about that. 
If you go back into the Greek language, when Paul says uh, in verse four, you are severed from Christ, that's exactly what the Greek word means in English. Severed, cut off, to be separated from Christ, to be cut off or severed from Christ. So he's exactly right about that. The word for fallen means to lose one's grasp on something. He's right about that. Look at the, look at the verse. You have fallen away from grace. He said the word fallen in the Greek language means to lose your grasp on something. He's right about that. You've lost your grasp. You no longer have any hold on grace. You've, you've been separated from Christ. You've been severed and disconnected from Christ and you've lost your grasp on grace. Look at this now. Paul's clear meaning, Paul's clear meaning, listen, listen to John MacArthur, is that any attempt to be justified by the law is to reject salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, those once exposed to the gracious truth of the gospel who then turn their backs on Christ and seek to be justified by the law are separated from Christ and lose all prospects of God's gracious salvation. He's exactly right. That's right. They do lose their salvation. They do. But then look, he throws this, he throws this uh, sentence in at the end of his commentary. Their desertion of Christ and the gospel proves that their faith was never genuine. What are you talking about? What are you talking about, dude? You just admitted that they were severed from Christ that they lost their grasp on the, on the grace of the gospel and the grace of Christ, that they are fully cut off from their prospect of God's gracious salvation. And then you go and say something so foolish that it proves their faith was never genuine. That's so, so incorrect. And I'll, t- I'll tell you how we know. Paul himself affirms their salvation. He affirms their, and by the way, let's not forget which John MacArthur believes this as well, that the entire Bible is inspired by God and inerrant. It's the Greek word theonustos. It means to be breathed out of the mouth of God. All of scripture is breathed out of the mouth of God. All of it. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is theonustos. It's breathed out of God's mouth. So it's not like Paul had the wrong opinion of Galatians. The Holy Spirit inspired these words and Paul affirms in his letter to the Galatians, don't you remember? You already had the Holy Spirit active among you. There is, listen to me when I say this, even in the reformed camp, if you're a reformed Calvinist, you have to agree with this. There is no sinner who has the Holy Spirit sealing their salvation. If you're a sinner, you're a sinner. So if you want to say that somebody's a false convert, that means that they remained a sinner their whole life, but it just appeared as though they were a Christian. Okay, well, whether it appeared as they did or not, they're still dead in trespasses and in sins, which means they don't have the Holy Spirit sealing their salvation. Because even in the Reformed Calvinist viewpoint, if you are not a true believer in Christ, a false convert, then you're dead in trespasses and in sins. Because they don't believe in a true Christian losing their salvation. So even in his belief system, that these, these people could never have had the Holy Spirit sealing their salvation. But Paul's very clear that they did have the Holy Spirit 
They did have that working in their church, working in their personal lives, working in their services, manifestations of the Holy Ghost. So, so why would Paul uh, make those, why would he make those statements? Why would he affirm their salvation if they were not really saved? And how could the Holy Spirit be manifesting in, in their lives, in their church services? And why would he point to that? No, it's not that they were false converts and it's not that they didn't have the Holy Spirit. It's that that reformed Calvinist viewpoint that somebody can never lose their salvation, the once saved, always saved uh, doctrine is a false doctrine. It's a false doctrine. And for him to have that heavy of a bias when he knows what it says, the Greek word actually does mean to be cut off. It does mean to lose your grasp on grace. He knows. And it means they have no prospect of God's gracious salvation, but it proves their faith was never genuine. No, it doesn't. Their faith was genuine and Paul pointed that out specifically. Pointed that out specifically. And so uh, we go over, I want to read to you now from um, Dr. Craig Keener's commentary and Dr. Keener's a Pentecostal. And, and, and I agree, listen, here's what's crazy. I agree with Carrie uh, in the comments because one of the sad things, and I've watched a lot of debates between Reformed Calvinists and Armenians and uh, different scholars talking about the subject. The sad truth is if you are Reformed and you do believe that way, you cannot have assurance of salvation. That's sad. It's very sad because what they will say to you if you, and I've watched them give this very answer. Are you truly a Christian? Only as much as the Holy Spirit confirms to me that I am in my heart. I don't know. There may come a day where I fall away from the faith and realize I was a false convert. I was never truly saved at all in the first place. What a sad way to live. To never know truly whether or not you're saved until you die or until Jesus comes. That is so sad. That is a scary way to live. No assurance of salvation. No assurance of salvation. We don't see that in the New Testament. We do not see that in the New Testament. We see assurance of salvation. We see, if you study the scriptures and the letters to the churches, that uh, doesn't speak to them as though we don't know whether or not you're saved. Speaks to them as believers. That they are currently standing or in right standing with God. Not that we'll know when you die. We'll know when you get, you know, if you get to heaven, we'll know on that day. We'll know if you've persevered till the end. We'll know that, no, no, no. And I agree that he that endures to the end will be saved. You have to endure. There's no question about that. We're running a race. The Christian life is a race. Paul makes that point to the Corinthians. We are running a race. Paul said, I have run my race and finished my course. But understand something. He that endures to the end will be saved. Obviously, you have to stay in holy, right, holy living and right standing with God. You have to continue to produce works of righteousness. You have to obey the word of God. What a novel idea. But that doesn't mean if you don't that you were never saved in the first place. It means that you didn't crucify your flesh. You didn't put your flesh under. You didn't renew your mind. So you're conformed to this world instead of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're conformed to the spirit of this world, the Bible says. And that's sad 
because people that don't take authority over their flesh nature and don't renew their mind, they will sin. And if they continue to live in that sin, let me tell you something, they will eventually be cut off from Christ. If they don't correct it. Paul said that about his, about himself in first Corinthians nine twenty seven. Paul. And in fact, let's go there because Paul makes a point before we open Dr. Keener's commentary. First Corinthians nine 27, Paul makes the point, uh, verses 24 through 27. Are you ready for this? First Corinthians nine verses 24 through 27. Paul says, do not, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. We're running our Christian race so that we may obtain the prize. What is the prize? Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control. There it is in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable wreath, right? An eternal reward. So I don't run aimlessly, verse 26. I don't box as one beating the air. Verse 27 is huge. I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. What's the context here? See, this is where Bible study made simple will help you a lot. If you don't know how to study context and how to interpret Bible passages, and use the inductive Bible study method in hermeneutics, this is where it'll help you a lot. What's the context that Paul's talking about in this portion of 1 Corinthians 9? Running your Christian race, self-control, disciplining your body so that you may obtain an imperishable eternal reward. Now, I know Tiffany doesn't want me to mention this, but we read an article yesterday from Dr. John MacArthur where he makes commentary on this passage. And says, no, that that's not talking about Paul losing his salvation. It's talking about Paul losing his Christian witness in front of others that he's trying to win for Christ. That is not at all what this context says. He's talking about people that are running to win an eternal reward. Your Christian witness is not an eternal reward. It's a temporary reward. You won't need a Christian witness in heaven. There's no one to win to Jesus in heaven. He's talking about run that you may obtain the prize the imperishable wreath, the eternal reward. And when this, this Greek word, adokimos, that he uses here for disqualified, that's what it means. The King James uh, says that I may, may not be uh, a castaway. Another translation, a reprobate. This translation, disqualified. Disqualified from what? Receiving your eternal reward. So Paul's clear. If you don't continue running your race and self-control in your body, like I'm doing to my body, then you will become disqualified. You will become disqualified. That's what he's telling the Galatians. You're leaving the true gospel that I preach to you. You're leaving the message of Christ and you're adding other things to it, which will cause you to become disqualified. You'll be cut off from Christ, cut off from Christ. And it's absolutely true. Now, let's go to Dr. Keener's uh, commentary. Listen to this. Um, in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 4 from Dr. Keener. This is what he writes in his commentary. Now Paul warns that if the Galatians pursue this course of, of adding circumcision in the law, they will be cut off from Christ and will have fallen away from grace. Katargeo 
is the language, that's the Greek word for cut off, of annulling something, as in rendering it ineffective, it naturally follows the idea of Christ no longer being a benefit from them. Notice, it's annulling something. It's like annulling your marriage. If you have your marriage annulled, which means, it doesn't mean you were never married in the first place, right? If you have your marriage annulled, it doesn't mean your marriage was never true in the first place. It means you once were married and now you're canceling or cutting your marriage off so that you're no longer connected to that woman or man. Annulling the marriage means you're stepping out of covenant. You're breaking the covenant of marriage. And that Greek word, uh, katargeo, is that word of uh, cutting off or annulling. And that marriage covenant, which is how Paul teaches salvation, right, to the Ephesians. He says that we're the bride of Christ, that Jesus Christ is the groom and we're the bride. He talks about it as a marriage relationship. We're the bride of Christ. But notice when you do not continue in your race by obedience to the word of God and by holy and righteous living, then what happens? You disqualify yourself, you're cut off. And according to scripture, it's annulled. That covenant is annulled. It is rendered ineffective. All right, let me keep going falling or stumbling, he said, you've fallen from grace, can designate apostasy. That just means you leave the faith. The cross may be the cause of stumbling for the Galatians as for others. Paul employs that verb that I just gave you, katargeo, cut off, followed by the preposition apa, means from, cut off from, cut off from, right? In only one other passage where the Christ believers are freed from the law's rule, Here, as Douglas Moo notes, the Galatians are flirting with the possibility of reversing the situation, reversing their their salvation. Let me keep reading. Paul elsewhere warns Gentile believers that if they fall from faith, they too will be cut off as Jewish people were who failed to believe. Where is that? Romans chapter 11. So let's go to Romans chapter 11 and verse 22. What does Paul say to the Romans? They're Gentiles, just like the Galatians. What does he say to them? Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Woo! There it is again in Romans 11. He said the Jews were cut off because they didn't believe in Jesus. You see that the Jews were cut off because they didn't believe in Jesus. He said, but don't get too prideful because if you don't continue in the kindness of God, you too will be cut off just like the Jews were said that to the Romans. Paul disciplines himself in order to avoid being disqualified or a docimos. And that's first Corinthians nine 27 that I just read to you going on to warn the Corinthians that despite their spiritual resources, they could be struck down as were many Israelites in the wilderness. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11. They must stand and avoid falling. That's 10, 12. They must examine themselves to make sure they remain in the faith and they're not disqualified. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Look what he says to them. 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 and 6. Thank you to everybody that's putting these passages in the comments. I appreciate it. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Test yourselves. 
Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Hold on a second. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we've not failed the test. Examine yourselves. So you should be constantly examining yourself to see if your life lines up with the Christ in you reality. No question about it. Had persecution moved the Thessalonians to abandon their faith in Christ, Paul's labor among them would have been in vain. 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 5. Listen to this. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Woo, you see that? They would have lost it through temptation, through persecution. What about the Colossian believers that would be presented blameless before God, provided that they continued in the faith? Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Look at this, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. Paul says, if indeed, okay, let's go to verse 21. Now this will help you. Here's the context. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you, Colossians, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Are you telling me that Paul is saying, well, we don't really know Colossians if you are Christians yet? No, he's writing to them as Christians. Go back to the beginning of the, of the letter. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae. He knows who they are. Saints and faithful brothers. Saints and faithful brothers. He's writing to saints and faithful brothers. We always thank God the Father for our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love that you have for the saints and the hope and because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. He's not looking and saying, well, we're not sure if you're Christians yet, Colossians. We'll know when you die. We'll know when Christ returns. No. He said, you're faithful brothers, you're saints. You have a hope laid up for you in heaven. If... If what you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting. The Galatians were shifting. They were shifting from the true gospel to the false gospel. Look at this. If we go down to the end of his commentary, Corinthians sexual sin contradicted Christian faith, but Galatians were in danger of abandoning faith in Christ, no less by adding to and thus subtracting from the faith. Like baptism, circumcision functioned as a demarcation, a rite of passage into a given community. In the case of Christian baptism of faith, by going under the law as if their baptism was inadequate, they would essentially deny the of efficacy of their baptism. Paul certainly did not, listen to, listen to Craig Keener. He even sees what's happening here and he writes it in the commentary. Paul certainly did not teach the popular doctrine today of once saved, always saved. A convert does not regularly move in and out of the saved community, but a convert who deconverts is again a non-believer. That's Dr. Keener's commentary on Galatians 5.4. You don't move regularly in and out of being a Christian because you made a mistake. But if you deconvert, 
If you decide you're going to just do what you want and you're not following Christ anymore and you walk in your own direction, you will lose your salvation. You will be cut off from Christ. The Bible is abundantly clear, abundantly clear. I'm blown away by Dr. MacArthur's clear bias in this area. He's willing to print this in his commentary on Galatians, adding that sentence, which is, it's such a contradiction to what the apostle Paul was teaching the Galatians. They were already believers. He wrote to them as believers. He encouraged them as believers. He rebuked them as believers, encouraged them not to make the wrong choice and lose their status as believers. And and we're going to sit here and act as though they were not truly believers. They were just false converts. No, that is not true. This should end the debate for everybody that's watching and listening. Those passages that I just finished reading to you, all those passages through the New Testament should end the debate for you. This is after the cross. This is after Christ's resurrection. This is in the church age. The prodigal son was never saved. Michael Figueroa asked, did did the prodigal son lose salvation and get it back? First of all, uh, it's it's a parable. And second of all, that was when Jesus was still alive. Nobody was saved. Nobody was saved while Jesus was alive before his death, burial, and resurrection. See, this is the same, this is the same argument that I'm having with all these deliverance people that Christians can be demon possessed. No, first of all, don't use any examples of Jesus casting demons out in his lifetime and say, well, see, these were believers in Jesus and they had demons cast out of them. They weren't Christians. Unless you're ready to preach the heresy that you could be saved without Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, which is heresy. That's heresy. We needed the death, burial, and resurrection in order to become new creatures in Christ Jesus. And once we become new creatures, you can't be demon-possessed. There are no scriptural examples of it. There are no scriptural examples of the apostles casting a demon out of a believer. There are actually no, no scriptural examples in the New Testament after the resurrection of any believer having, being delivered from a demon. Not one. Not one. Who then can be saved? Everyone can be saved if they believe the gospel of Christ. That's who can be saved. Uh, Peter's asking from Italy, what's the commentary? It is Dr. Craig Keener's commentary on Galatians. It's called Galatians, a commentary by Craig S. Keener. And so without question, uh, Christians can't be demon possessed, but also without question, Christians can lose their salvation. And Paul Breckel is disagreeing in the comments because he wasn't here for the whole broadcast, but it's so clear. It's so clear, Paul. Go back and watch Paul's uh, charge to the Galatians. Watch Paul's charge to the Corinthians, to the Thessalonians, to the Colossians. It is so abundantly clear in, 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 the, in the scripture. It's so abundantly clear. So abundantly clear that it is very possible to lose your covenant with Christ. Yes, Christians can definitely be oppressed, Krista, without question. We know that Christians can be oppressed, but there's a big difference between being oppressed, something on the outside of you, pressing on you, oppressing you, buffeting you. Paul was, uh, ba- Paul battled a buffeting spirit at one point, but he was not possessed by that spirit. 
How can a demon spirit take residence in the temple of the Holy Ghost? What is he going to do? Evict the Holy Ghost from your body? He can't kick the Holy Ghost out of your, out of your spirit. You're united with Christ. But the reason that Christians are able to be oppressed and depressed is because they don't understand their authority in Christ and they do not take by force what belongs to them by faith. That's why they're able to be oppressed and depressed. That's why it's so important for people to understand the believer's authority and to understand who you are in Christ as a new creature and to understand the power that dwells within you by the Holy Ghost and to take that authority and do what the Bible teaches that you can do. Oh no, John, you can absolutely lose your salvation and the Bible is abundantly clear on that topic. And if you go back and watch through this broadcast, you'll see all the passages that I wrote from Paul to the Corinthians, the Colossians, the Thessalonians, the Galatians, and regarding his own lifestyle, that you can absolutely be disqualified from your covenant of salvation. You can absolutely be cut off. No question about it. Absolutely be cut off. I've read Romans 8. I've read the whole book of Romans. I've done a verse by verse study. I've gone through the Greek. I know the book of Romans backwards and front. And you are absolutely wrong, sadly. And what a sad way to live your life as a Christian, to not have any assurance of salvation. The, the sad part is that John and the other man that logged onto the broadcast, they can't even be sure that they're saved until they die or until Jesus comes. They have no assurance of salvation whatsoever. They have no assurance of salvation under Reformed Calvinism, none. You don't know if you're saved until you endure to the end. And that's very sad. That's a scary way to live your life. To, to not know if you're a false convert that's just thinking you're saved or if you're truly a member of God's elect. What a sad and scary way to live your life. No, no, it's not. Paul taught it. So Paul, unless you want to call up uh, the apostle Paul, a heretic, which he was not, then you are going to have a hard time with the passages listed today because it is very, very clear in the scripture. The word does not disagree. You listen to any reformed teacher or preacher. You listen to any of the smartest ones, the smartest ones, any of them, and you listen to them debate and talk about Reformed Calvinism, that talk about the institutes that Calvin wrote. You listen to any of those things and you'll know very clearly that you can't know. I've heard them myself say, I can't tell you whether or not I'm a false convert. There may come a, a time later in my life where I, where I, I, I walk away from the faith and realize that, uh, as an apostate that I was never truly saved, that I was a false convert. Very sad way to live. Very sad way to live. We can know we're saved. I agree that the Bible teaches that we can know we're saved, but I, I'm not a false convert. And if somebody does walk away from the faith and become apostate, which is Bible prophecy, by the way, then it's not because they were never truly saved in the first place. It's not because they were never truly saved. It's not because they were a false convert. It's because they walked away from their salvation. They did not discipline their flesh. They did not renew their mind as the Bible commands us to. No, I'm, I'm telling you what the reformed Calvinists teach about scripture, John. 
And that's the problem is that their view of scripture is biased. Their view of scripture is wrong. And the way that they divide scripture is improper. It's improper hermeneutics. It's, it's completely, completely false. And it's sad and it's scary for those that believe it. And it, it definitely destroys people's lives without question. Without question. And you know what's sad? If you tr- and, and I'll tell you what no Calvinist can answer. It's very sad. That if people truly believe that everything happens only by the decree of God, and that's where the sovereignty of God comes in and reform Calvinism and that belief system. And to answer his question, the only reason, um, it's the only reason that I, uh, use that term is because it's a type of, uh, or a doctrinal position that many take. It's the way they interpret scripture. And the sad, the sad part about it is that if you believe that everything is under the decree of God, that there is no, as, as someone asked me in the comments, you believe man is sovereign to believe that everything happens under the decree of God, then you cannot logically, and here's the cognitive dissonance for any reformed believer that believes the way that these, uh, and I'll call them brothers because they are my brothers, but the way that they believe is that you cannot believe in a truly holy God. You cannot believe in a holy God because you have to believe John chapter one and verse one, that in the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You keep on going and everything that was created was created by and through him, through the word of God. That's Jesus Christ by the decree of God. Then you have to believe at some point someone had free will, or you have to believe that evil came out of God's spirit, meaning it was a part of him that they believe that evil came into the world. And they may reference Isaiah 45. They may reference Isaiah 45, where God speaking says that I cause evil and calamity. But the problem is that they can't believe in a truly holy God because you cannot explain. Even R.C. Sproul had a very foolish understanding. I watched all that he taught about where evil comes from, the origin of evil, as though evil was a man-made topic. (laughs) It's just the absence of God. It's not the absence of God. Because everything had to come from somewhere. And if you believe in the decree of God, then everything evil had to come out of God's spirit because nothing, the Bible's clear, nothing was created unless it was created by and through him. Nothing, which includes evil. If you believe in the decree of God, like Calvinists and reformed believers do, meaning that everything that exists in the world comes by the decree of God, meaning every rape every murder, every wicked thing that comes that we're supposed to stand against comes out of the decree of God. And we don't know why it's for his purpose, brother. It's for his purpose. He will know one day why his purpose it's to bring him total glory, totally foolish, totally foolish. And so I'm not against any of my brothers. I love those that are in the body of Christ, but I feel there's a massive discrepancy between reformed uh, doctrine and what true Bible doctrine is, what the scriptures actually teach. And Paul taught it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because the word of God is totally and utterly inspired and inerrant. 
And unless you're willing to call the Apostle Paul a heretic, then you've got massive problems, especially with Galatians chapter 5. I want to pray for everybody that's watching today because, listen, this is my true belief system. And of course, here's where I come in as an evangelist, because I believe that the Bible teaches, obviously, that Christ is coming back and we believe he's coming back soon. We believe that time is running out and that God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved because they clearly will not be saved. In fact, the Bible says that it's a straight and a narrow path and few there be that find it. So it's not going to be the majority that are saved and end up in heaven with God and with Christ. It's going to be the minority. Yet, we are still called to preach this gospel before it's too late. We are still called to go out into the highways and into the hedges and to compel them to come in. We're called to bring the message of Christ to every creature. And it is a limited time offer. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter nine and verse four, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day for the night is coming where no man can work. It's a limited time offer. Jesus is coming back again and the gospel must be preached to the ends of the earth. And then the end will come. The reason I'm preaching like this is because if you believe this way, there's an urgency in your heart to preach the gospel. One of the, in my opinion, the devastating things that reformed theology does to a believer is it removes the urgency and the fire of preaching the gospel to the unsaved. Because logically, if, if you have a logical brain and you believe that the elect will make their way to heaven no matter what happens, because they will get the gospel by somebody, they will believe it, they will persevere, they will end up in heaven, it's monergism, God will do it all, there's not... What kind of urgency does that place in me as a believer to get out and preach the word of God and to win souls to Jesus Christ? What, what urgency it it takes, it strips you of all urgency to do the work of Christ. It strips you, it strips you. And I don't believe that way. I believe that we have to do what Jesus commanded us to do. And that is to preach the gospel of Christ to those who need a savior. Hallelujah. And we need it. And we need it because Jesus is coming soon. And I want those of you that are watching to be encouraged. And I want that urgency to go in your spirit that we can't just goof off and we can't spend this time coasting on cruise control before Jesus comes. We have to do the work of Jesus Christ. We have to do the work of Jesus Christ. We have to preach this gospel before time runs out because Jesus is coming. And I want to pray for those of you that are watching that God would give you a new boldness. He would give you a new urgency. He'd put a fire in your heart to preach this gospel and a love for people like you've never had a compassion, a compassion for the lost. Father, I pray for every person that's watching me today, those that are listening on the podcast, I ask you today that you would stir us in faith. I pray that a new urgency would come upon every believer a new boldness to speak the word and not care about the spirit of this world, this anti-Christ agenda, to not care about what the culture is doing and saying, but to speak the truth in love with boldness. Give us urgency, give us boldness, give us the words to speak, the wisdom. And then Lord, I pray that you would give us a renewed compassion and love for people, a renewed compassion and love for the lost, And I pray that the harvest would come in mightily before this year comes to an end. 
I pray for those that are believing for their family members to be saved. I pray for those that are believing, Lord, for their coworkers and their friends to be saved. Let this be the year that we can declare, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. We serve the Lord. I pray, Lord, that this would be a year of household salvation. Touch our families. Keep our children from every wicked thing that's sweeping through this generation. We thank you, Lord, that you're, you're setting us ablaze with a new hunger for your spirit, with a new urgency to do the work you've called us to do. Empower the Victory Tribe, Lord, in Jesus' name. Open doors for us. Like Paul said, doors of opportunity would be opened unto us to see this work done. We thank you, Lord, for it. We praise you for it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. If you receive it, if you believe it, throw some hands up in the comments section, throw some fire up. I love you guys. We're getting ready in just a little bit. We're getting ready to jump on a plane and head to Montana to preach this next revival, believing God for souls to come in, believing God for people to be changed by the Holy Spirit. And I want to say thank you to everybody that stands with us and partners with this ministry as my wife and I are doing what the Lord's called us to do. And I want to encourage those of you that are watching, if you've never uh, taken time or prayed about standing with us in partnership to see this gospel preached and to see lives changed before it's too late. I want, to, I want you to consider, and I want to challenge you to stand with us. I want you to pray for this ministry. And if you would, I want you to sow a seed financially to send this gospel around the world. We're now on television in 180 some nations of the world every single week. The gospel's being preached, you're a part of that. And so I say thank you to everybody that's standing with us, that's sowing seed, that is contributing by faith to the work of God. You can go to miracleword.com and uh, you can sow your seed there. And I say thank you to everybody that's standing with us. In the month of September, it's our gift to you, Dr. Michael Brown's book, Can You Be Gay and Christian? One of the biggest questions that we face in our generation is we're getting pushback from the LGBTQIA community and many denominations now are ordaining homosexuals, are accepting this message uh, of homosexuality. And we've got to be able to answer this question scripturally and properly, uh, especially now with our children and our grandchildren facing this on a daily basis. This book will give you biblical ammunition to answer this question properly, without question. And so uh, we'll, we'll send that to you as our way of saying thank you. Go to miracleword.com forward slash offer. Let us know where to send it. Fill out the form. Tell us where we can mail it to you as our way of saying thank you. And we love you and appreciate you very much. This is going to be a, a broadcast that you guys are going to want to go back through, listen to it again and again, get the verses down, get the understanding down and see what the Bible truly teaches. This will help you. This, this broadcast will be a resource to you to help you answer these questions about salvation and the gospel. And, uh, Thank you for spending time with me today. I love you guys. Continue to pray our upcoming revivals that we have all through the fall. Continue to pray that people be changed by the power of God. Souls would come into the kingdom. It's what we're believing God for. I love you a lot. Um, any announcements I'm missing today, Tiff? If you haven't signed up yet uh, and you uh, want to be a part of the women's meeting coming up in Massachusetts, um, that's right, Paul, we believe in women preachers. Um, my wife is going to be speaking at Crossroads Community Church in Fitchburg, Mass. Pop the graphic up for me if you would. We want you to register uh, to be a part of this meeting coming up this month in September.
Um, so on, on our website, you'll find the link that you need to go to in order to register for this conference that's coming up at Crossroads Community Church, September the 24th. That's a Saturday, and we would love to see you there. We're going to be in Billings, Montana, Praxis Blockchain Technologies. Um, Billings, Montana. Again, I'm still waiting for you to send me that book, uh, Praxis Blockchain Technology. Whatever book that you would say is the very best that I can read about being a reformed Pentecostal. I, I'm still waiting on that book. I want to read it. And I want you to send me a message and tell me the very best book that I could read about that. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be, yes, that's right, uh, Hobart, Assembly of God in Hobart, Indiana, as well. Paul said, absolutely shocking heresy. He's literally, his mind is blown. Wherever he's watching from, he cannot believe it. The heresy that this channel is pushing out there before Jesus comes. Blowing his mind today. We enjoy blowing minds on this channel. Um, <laughs> we love you guys. Thank you for spending time with us. I'll see you again very soon. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.